calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <sighs> we did it! I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here. Mapping timelines here or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign-off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Try, ladies and gentlemen. Try. That's what it's all about. Well, climb to this. Climb. <laughs> climb and try. Yeah, I was uh, me clanging on that thing. Welcome everybody to this uh, live spoiler review for the season one finale of Andor here from the Geek Buddies and Laura Kelly. <gasps> hey! We're coming to you live here on a Wednesday evening, at least on the West Coast, and excited to be talking about everything that's going on here, uh, that happened rather here in episode 12, 
of this incredible season of Andor. And sure, there's going to be fun things to talk about, stuff to get into and break it all down. I just want to let you all know, if you want to send in your Streamlabs and Super Chats to get answered by the great Laura Kelly, send them in now because we've only got her for a limited amount of time. So get everything in now if you're going to get everything now. I've already pinned the Streamlabs address in the chat. It's up there for you to watch. Also send in your Super Chats. I'll monitor them as we go along. Well, let's introduce ourselves first. I am the Outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. I am Michael Vogel, uh, animation writer and what am I? Writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. That's what it is. Sorry. This oh. episode got me all jacked up. I'm all oh. I'm all a mess after this episode. I have so many titles. Ugh. Uh, Shannon, oh. your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where I get to work for Michael Vogel, one of his many titles, showrunner, executive producer, McClung boss oh. on Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, like season that. two on Netflix right now. <laughs> Boom. MB. Uh, and joining us, the co-host of Force Toast Pod, the co-host of the Jedi Way, and an honorary geek buddy, one of our favorite people to have on these shows, talking Star Wars stuff, the great Laura Kelly. How are you, Laura? I'm amazing. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited. It's nice that this is, um, I don't want to say it's good that it's over. I'm a little bit relieved it's <laughs> <Yeah>. over. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Overall, this has been really fun. I'm glad I got to join you for as many episodes as I did. I am sad I missed episode 10 with you guys because that was my favorite, I think, out of all of them. Oh, wow. Interesting. Uh, that's why I just saw Laura's face turn into Deidre Miro all of a sudden. All right. Well, we're going to get into so <laughs> many things here and break it all down like we said. Uh, but we also want to give some love to uh, Carbon Health, who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies. Head on over to CarbonHealth.com. If you've got any healthcare questions, concerns, or needs, they are sponsoring us into 2023. We can't thank them enough. So you give them love by patronizing their establishments or getting your stuff checked out there. They've got great group of uh, physicians to help you out with anything you got going on, whether it's mental health or whether it's physical health. They'll help you out. They've also got an app so you can have a doc in your pocket for those questions on the go. All right, so much happened in this season finale. It was a funeral to end all funerals for sure. It was the cresting of the wave smashing down with some incredible dialogue, some fantastic, in my opinion, fantastic monologues, great back and forths, and unrequited love for now, and so much that went down here that laid the groundwork for what we're going to be seeing in season two as it jumps multiple years through that season. And we got a Death Star stinger. Holy Mary Mother. So much was covered here in this finale. We're going to jump into all of it. Uh, and But first, we're going to start with overall thoughts. Mike Vogel, overall thoughts here on this season finale of Andor. I mean, it's just been a hell of a ride. I mean, it's been amazing. It's been so different from what we've come to expect from Star Wars, while yeah. at the same time feeling very, very much like Star Wars. Uh, I, I think this show has, in a lot of ways, made, made the Empire more real uh, in a really great way for Star Wars moving forward. I think that the way that they have fleshed out the ISB, the Empire itself, really kind of like gotten into the nitty gritty of the whys and the hows of what the Empire's doing um, makes the Empire more than just a cardboard mustache twirly villain of like these are the bad guys that we have to fight like this is this is now the gold standard for how you should treat the empire moving forward in star wars and it's just yeah. been amazing it's been adult it's been grown up it's been emotional like i just uh i, I can't wait to go I, I i i know that laura doesn't feel this way 
I can't go back. Uh, I can't wait to go back and rewatch all of it. I want to go back through, and now that they're all there, just kind of go back through. Yeah, I know. I see that face, Laura. I see that face. So yeah, it's, it was it was a blast. I was thrilled uh, and uh, satisfied with my care. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> good, good, good. Laura Kelly, I love that you're the dissenting voice in this uh, in this cacophony of voices. So please, your thoughts overall on this season finale. You know, I'm, I really like to think of myself as the dissenting voice of the first half of the season. I really yeah. did like the second half of this of this first season of this show, and I really enjoyed the finale overall, both parts of it. Um, I think that I I don't know if I'll be going back and rewatching it. I would maybe start with like the Aldani stuff. Mm. I guess we're kind of we sort of start there with like episode four. Yeah, I'd maybe go from there to the end. I don't know if I need to go back to the very beginning. Um, although I imagine that we'll have to before the start of the next season because there are some things that we didn't right. totally tie up in a perfectly nice bow yeah. in this in this finale which is fine i mean you should I, I wouldn't have expected them to tie everything up given that we already knew we were gonna have a second season um but overall i thought the ending was really strong i mean there there's a lot of really emotional scenes in yeah. this episode i think it almost like rivals episode 10 for like bringing that emotional punch to this storyline so overall i was very pleased with it i got a little bit of my like shipping energy Ooh, happening in this a little bit. I'm very, I mean... very excited to get into this <laughs> honestly um so overall with the finale very pleased yeah listen billy crystal made a woman meow cyril just made a woman say i should say thank you and through gritted teeth a fantastic back and forth there in a closet and that's where I don't know. This where some things happen. Shannon, your overall thoughts on this uh, finale here for season one of Andor? Yeah, super, super satisfied. Uh, I can't wait to get into the nitty gritty here. But the the raw emotion that Benjamin Karen and Tony Gilroy were able to get out of this episode again with not a terrible amount of dialogue. I mean, it yeah. was. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot going on at the end. And they, they were not using their words at the end. And just, you know, you're just so you're so invested with these people um, who, who we've you know come to know over the past 12 episodes and the love that one can have for a droid who is unjustly knocked over oh like the, the the exclamation that I had this morning over my cereal as that son of a bitch knocked over B2. I just, you know, I was just, you know, that's how you know you're into a show. It's just yeah. like, the, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, super happy with the finale. Um, I, I mean, I agree with Laura. I don't know if I need to go back and watch the beginning again. I loved episode three. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is a show that I, I, you know, with them releasing the first two episodes on on Hulu and on uh, Freeform, um, I really hope it finds a bigger audience because I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think for me, this is the best thing concretely now uh, since Empire. And to be honest with you, I think it's on par with Empire. Empire's for that kind of Star Wars and or for this kind of Star Wars. And for this kind of Star Wars, it matches in quality for me as Empire Strikes Back does for that kind of Star Wars. And I loved it to pieces from top to bottom. Loved, as you said, Shannon, so astutely, the silences here were so well done. I'm thinking of that Bell and Cinta moment when she says, step away from the window, and they turn and just look at each other, and no words are exchanged, but he moves the camera to the left so you sense that you're you're just catching her look in her eye of the feelings and the emotions that she has. The, the back and forth between Mon Mothma selling Perrin down the rim, gaslighting Perrin! The, the, the stones of that were just incredible to see 
and of course Andor. They're essentially offering themselves up to death at the end to Luthen with through the glassy eyes of tears and guilt and pain. It was just incredible to see throughout. I really loved this finale and that Marva speech. That is a speech you can put in film or television as one of the greatest speeches ever delivered. And if you're not going to let us say goodbye to her physically, letting us letting her have her say in, in a finale was genius. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say it's, it's a star Wars. uh, It's a speech for the star Wars books. That speech is going down in star Wars history as one of the all time great speeches about the empire. Yeah. Hands down for years. We will be, Coming back around to that speech. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. the amount that they use the term, that Tony Gilroy and the writers have used the term bastards, you know, fight these bastards, fight yeah. these bastards. You know Tony Gilroy wants to get the word fuck into Star Wars. Fuckers, yeah. So absolutely. bad. So do it. Do it. It's on the precipice, that's for sure. As you know, Saw Guerrero had a tear in his eye when he hears about holographic images being used to motivate people to fight. All right, let's move on, and let's jump into the first sec. We're going to take the section by section. Usually with the storylines, I don't think you do that in this episode, so we're breaking it down section by section. We open with the image. The, uh, so the opening image is a stunner of that Imperial ship of Deja's landing at night. Looked like the Matrix there when they were farming human beings. Uh, Bix is in her cell being monitored by cameras. Deja wants to walk around the town instead of having dinner and having her spy Corv show her around. We see Will Monpok's son there working on some device with the holographic image of his dad on the counter. Brasso and Zawan meet up. Tells him that Cassian called him. Tells him that he told him about Marva. We see Nurchin, who is watching this interaction, and you know Cassian owed him money for the first few episodes of uh, this uh, of this series. And we see later that Zan is getting drunk with with uh, uh, Nurchin there, trying to get the information Nurchin is from Zenwan about. And or Cinta follows Deidre and Corb. Wilmot finishes the bomb. Uh, and then we see Mon Mothma sitting in the back of her car. Jennifer's nonverbal acting here is just incredible. And like I said, she absolutely gaslights Baron. She knows that Cloris is listening in the front there, even though she asked for privacy. And that is going to be passed on a little bit later on in the episode for sure. Parenton, for once, Parent is telling the truth. He's denying everything, saying there's no way it's true. And Mon Mothma absolutely gaslighting him. It's hilarious. Then Velvet meets up with Cinta in her place after Cinta wasn't there to pick her up. Ooh. What passive-aggressive shots are being uh, lobbied here in this relationship, for sure. Uh, Vel asks her to come away from Linda, as I said, and they have a great moment between them. Andor arrives on Ferex. He runs his finger over some engravings and has a sweet memory of Clem talking about the idea of cleaning up old stuff, how they're trying to make you buy new stuff at 10 times the price. Who knew Disney was going to take a shot at Apple? But certainly it was there and him cleaning all this stuff up and saying how much they can make. But really the point is they don't notice. They don't look down and notice the things that are beneath them, essentially kind of maybe connecting to Andor being this diamond in the rough who is going to come up and shoot the or try to destroy the Empire in essence. Cassian breaks in the backyard of Pegla's place. He wants to know where Bix is. We cut to her. And we hear and we see that she is absolutely decimated in this room, mentally and physically, from what she's experienced in the torture. Then we hear Nemec's words from his manifesto that uh, Cassian is listening to. Luthen is watching Ferex from a distance, and he's and, and we hear Cassian hearing these words. And these words stuck out to me. Maybe other words stuck out to you guys. To me, the imperial need for control is so desperate because it is un- so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks. It leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. One single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. And let's stop there. Mike, overall thoughts on this opening, on these opening sequences as these chess pieces are being moved into place on the board. 
Um, God, there's so much to deal with there. Uh, <laughs> let me think. Let me think back here. Um, no, I mean, there's like, I think just first off, I love that all of the characters on Barracks, yeah. uh, in those first couple episodes, the ones that we all are like, oh, they were a little bit slow. They didn't really catch up. But now you see why they were essential. Taking that little bit of time to get to know each of these characters. Like, Brasso's there. He's going to help. He's always going to help uh, Cassian and his yeah. family. Yep. Uh, Zenwan is like, you know, he's there. He's like, he's going to cover for Cassian. He's going to be there for Cassian. And, every, and what's the guy's name who owes him who, who owed, he owed Nurchi. money to? Nurchi. Nurchi. Yeah. So then, yeah, with Nur- and Nurchi, like, you know, like, he, he has a beef with Andor. He has a yeah. thing. So now when you get to this finale episode where we catch up with everything and the funeral's coming up and what's going on with the Imperials and Cassian's coming back and all these things – Everybody is just playing to type. So you don't need a whole lot of setup. To Shannon's point, there's not a ton of dialogue here. It's all done really, really simply and really efficiently just to put all the pieces on the board. Um, And it felt, and everything about it just felt like Star Wars. Mm -hmm. You had Imperial spies rolling, rolling around. You had rebel spies rolling around. You had all these, like, it was just, it felt like, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean this in a good way. It felt like a bunch of people running around galaxy's edge. Like I would like it, like at Disney, like it was like, it was just like, okay, like everybody's there and what's going to happen next. Uh, with, um, with Cinta and Vel, look, I don't know it, I don't know where you have to go in Ferrix to pick somebody up, but if it's anything like LA and picking somebody up at LAX, like if I got if I land in my plane at LAX and somebody doesn't pick me up, I'm pissed. Yeah. Like it's sure. it's rough. It's not it's not an easy ride back into the city. Uh and 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 Vel was definitely giving me I had to get here from LAX vibes. Uh she was not she was not happy about it. The Cinta and Vel relationship is really interesting. Like, I'm really interested to see where it goes because it is the classic. Clearly, when these two got together, Cinta said, here's how the relationship works. I love you. I'll steal whatever moments I can with you. But the rebellion is first for me because I got some shit to deal with. Right. And Vel's like, sure, sure, sure. And I feel like Vel just keeps feeling like that's going to change at some point. Right. And every scene that they have had in season one is the classic... You're not going to change her, girl. Like, it's not going to happen. This is who you've got. Um, The Mon Mothma scene, maybe one of my favorite scenes in the entire episode. She is so good here. Uh, Like you said, poor Perrin just didn't know what hit him. (laughs) He's like, he's like, I swear I am not doing this. And just the way that they have crafted this whole thing is that she knows that he's listening. Yeah. She knows that they know that she's got this money that is missing. Yeah. And she is giving them the reason that that money's gone. Right. So that when everything goes down and she marries off her daughter and that money gets taken care of, she's clean. It is, you know, it's it's very much like, it's very similar to what Luthen dealt with with giving up 30 rebels like they're like the re- the rebellion takes a lot of sacrifice and you end yeah. up getting your hands dirty and you do things that you never thought that you would do for the greater good yeah. um but boy is she good at it yeah uh it, it was it, it's really really great um and then yeah and then as far and then as far as getting to uh to the journal uh and nemix nemix manifesto and everything uh, two words that come up a lot 
uh, and I think they're both in his manifesto, unnatural mm. and spark. Yeah. Uh, the, the tyranny of the empire is unnatural. Yeah. And it is straight out of Revenge of the Sith. It is literally Palpatine sitting there with Anakin saying, powers that some would say are unnatural. So it's like, it's just, it's great how they're tying the more supernatural parts of the dark side into the actual parts of tyranny. The tyranny is unnatural. They are trying to force everybody into a certain way of living that is not the way that they would choose to live. And then the spark of the rebellion is just something that comes up over and over and over again as well. So I think that that manifesto is really great because it just sort of wraps everything up. And like I said earlier, it just makes what's happening feel real. This isn't a bunch of space bad guys doing space bad guy things like they are taking the empire and showing you what every tyrannical system of government what every tyrannical uh group of people in history have done and how they've done it yeah and it just it makes it so real for me in like the most like delicious way and they've done this these sons of bitches right before thanksgiving so people are going to debate this show and have their fights over this political stuff in this show right before Thanksgiving. Uh, Laura Kelly. I really, wait, really, I really can't wait for somebody to be at a Thanksgiving table somewhere with all their parents talking about Trump and the Republicans. And they start like, they just like pour down that whiskey shot and start yelling lines from Nemec's journal. Like they just start yelling Nemec's manifesto at the dinner table. I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> the parents would be like, no, no, that was about Biden. Anyway. All right, Laura, your thoughts on uh, uh, these whole opening scenes here. And these inter- and the and the interaction between uh, uh, Mon Mothma and Perrin. I loved this interaction between Mon Mothma and Perrin. I mean, this was like one of my favorite interactions between them because it was it's, the way that it turned the tables was just perfect. I mean, it was so clear that he was so put off, but this is totally a thing that Perrin would do. So any of us watching are like, wait, no, like, is he? Is he actually gambling him? This guy's like giving her more grief than he's already given her. But no, she's using this as her strategy to do more money laundering. And I love that. I love that she like turned the tables on him. It was just perfect. And yes, we did. I, I think we also sort of suspected that her driver was a spy. She oh. certainly suspected it. But I think this is sort of the first like hardcore co- like confirmation yeah. that we got. Like, yeah. actually, yeah, this guy totally is um, a bad guy. Uh, Chloris, I guess was his name. Yeah, Chloris. Um, in terms of all the stuff that happened on Ferrix, I actually, I did struggle a little bit with at the very beginning, bringing back a lot of these characters from the beginning when I just was not, connecting with this show in the for in the early episodes so like i really i didn't recognize who's you know this kid's son that was building the or this guy's son that was building the bomb i didn't remember pegla i didn't remember like i didn't remember nerdy like i just i just did not connect with those characters then so i did not remember them when i came to it here we, we did you know i got through it and i i did it did sort of come back as we were going but yeah. I think we maybe would have need I can't, I can't have been the only one. So I feel like they well, I'm sure maybe we needed yeah, yeah. some more like interspersed scenes throughout the series with them just so we can kind of get those reminders of who they were. Or maybe that was just me. I don't know. Um the stuff with Vel and with Cinta is so great because you mentioned Genevieve O'Reilly's sort of nonverbal acting. And I think we get a lot of really solid stuff with um fix as well who we can talk about but also with cinta she does like she's such a badass in this episode and i had i just had underestimated her i think in a huge way until we saw her with that knife with that guy in the alley i mean 
record. Just perfection. Every single facial expression that she had was so steady and so certain and quiet, but so strong. And it just, it all conveyed on her face so well. So I hope that we get a lot more with that character in the future. Um, Vel's story, I feel like, was left sort of unresolved in a lot of way. I feel like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of tension that was sort of left with her on the table, which I think is going to make for some really interesting storytelling in season two, because we kind of know what the structure of season two is going to be with these, you know, three episodes take up one year. And I almost kind of wonder, I'm like, is there going to be sort of a, you know what, we'll get into, we'll get into the end, I guess, and maybe some predictions later. So I won't go into it now. Yeah, I have some thoughts too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But overall, I would have liked um, a little bit more with some of these Ferrex characters getting to know them. I would have actually liked to hear a little bit more of the manifesto because I thought what we heard Mm. was awesome. And I just would have liked a longer version of it. I also would have liked more with Clem. We didn't get enough Clem in this I first agree. season. 100%. And he was great. So I just, I would have liked more. Maybe we'll get him like uh, Costner coming back in those in Man of Steel and, and oh. Batman v Superman. Does these little flashbacks <laughs> in season two. We shall see. <laughs> um, yeah. As, as Rick James once said, uh, Sinta was cold blooded. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts overall in these opening scenes and the interaction with Perrin. Um, who, by the way, physically, they staged this so well. He was sitting smaller than her in the... the I'm just, just, they totally emasculated him, and it was incredible to watch. So what do you think about all this? I mean, you know, really enjoyed everything. I do agree with Laura that having a little bit of a check-in, like, with somebody like Nurchie. Like, I yeah. remember Nurchie at the beginning because he brought the giant alien to beat Cassian up if Cassian didn't have his money. Um, but it would have been... Not, it, it probably would have been okay. Like, it, one of our stops in Ferrix throughout the series... To have a little thing with him, a little thing with him pop up. I do think that probably would have been useful. Maybe but you the see moment... with him and Corv, and so you establish that he is a spy for Corv the whole time. So yeah, that's sure. not a bad idea. Sure. Yeah, it, some, yeah, something like that would would have been helpful. Um, but I mean, you can just like as he's watching Zan talk with Brasso, you just get this. Oh, you're a son of a bitch feel <laughs> from him. And you know what I love about the characters that they have introduced is their flaws. I mean, Zan, who was not going to give Cassian a free ride to get off of Ferrix, he immediately goes to Brasso to be like, hey, so this happened. And then we find out he's got a soft spot for the drink. And yeah. we see how Nurchi kind of, uh, you know, exposes that. And the, the way that Nurchi kind of uses a little reverse psychology is like, hey, if you know something, you keep it to yourself. Right. Like, I don't want to know. Like, fully, like, just plays right into it. Um, you know, the, the Vel Senta, I mean, the, what I put, what I wrote was Senta, Senta doesn't have time for this nonsense, <laughs> even though Vel using Vogel's uh, LAX analogy, Vel is 100% right. <laughs> like if it's a pain in the, like, where were you? That is not cool. Yeah. Um, but then going to the, you know, the, the, the scene of this section is the Mon Mothma parent scene, because I was like, Laura, I was just kind of like. This son of a bitch is a gambler too. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> but I loved when the door, it's its like these little details that I, that I think make the show so strong. Um, when the door to the, to the cruiser opens and you hear the music from, yeah. you know, the, the club or the bar, the establishment that he was, that he was, you know, hanging out. I was like, that's such a great detail. Cause you know, it's, it's like such a, put upon you know partner having to go and all right where where are they now let me go get them um but then you know we had speculated that mon mothma 
what was she going to do for the rebellion? What was she going to sacrifice? And even though Perrin does not seem like a good dude, I mean, the fact that she is setting him up to take, you know, the fall for these, you know, white collar crimes, it's like, I don't know if he deserved this because more than likely they're going to torture him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he he definitely like this is what she's had. This is the sacrifice she's making, which, you know, in the long run, you're like, OK, yeah, you, you all you know, this was an arranged marriage. You all didn't really like each other. But then we find out that she's not able to stop there, that she has to go further. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Anything on the manifesto? Oh, I mean, that's something that. I wish we would have gotten another uh, another hit with. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe when they were in uh, Niamos in Space Miami. Um, sure. Like I thought that would have been nice to have kind of to, to establish that a little earlier. I think that would have made it a little stronger. Yeah, maybe him listening to it and it working on him, influencing slowly but surely. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> sure. Oh, what were you going to say, Mike? I was going to say, like, on the parent thing, uh, I mean, I feel like Mom Mothman's big sacrifice is her daughter, but on the parent thing, and maybe I'm not, I mean, I, I don't work for the government, but... Uh, I don't think he's really going to take the fall for diverting funds to to fund a rebellion. You think I mean, it's think just whole, well the whole reason the whole reason to set it up like yeah. the whole they, she has she has four hundred thousand credits that are missing. Yeah, and right. they're missing because she gave them to the rebellion. Right. And so with Perrin, it's not saying I'm going to pin this on him so the empire That's is going right. to take him You're and right. torture him. It right. is this motherfucker is gambling away all my money. I'm a senator. This is some bullshit. Yeah, which, You're right. She's fucking with him and she is lying to his face and me, but like, oh. not that he, you know, that, but that seems like a lesser crime than I don't think she's trying to pin yeah, yeah, a yeah. big imperial crime on him. Yeah, right, right, right. You're says, right. Like, she says, I'm afraid of where you're getting the money to gamble. Right. So that, that kind of clarifies that. Oh, she's not fucking with him. She's fucking him. That's absolutely what she's doing. So, and, and this is the thing at the end of the day, that scene is where she become is the first step to her becoming the leader of the rebellion. That scene right there that she's willing to sacrifice Perrin and the second scene with her, which she's willing to in enter into this arrangement with Devil Skull, is her understanding what she needs to do to be able to lead this rebellion. And it's it's subtly incredible. So, so just to be clear, so Mon Mothma making those big sacrifices makes her a leader, but when Luthen makes those sacrifices, you don't like it. Not even the same thing, for God's sakes. It's one daughter who's still alive, by the way, and is going to be into a marriage that she wants to be in. Anton Krieger's men didn't ask to die. Anyway, let's move on before we get to... Oh, well, let's take a break first, and then we'll jump into our next thing right after this. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. With all of the savings I get when I drive, I'm having the time of my life. Driving safe for life, insurance, save me so much in my car. Driving safe for life, insurance, I've dreamed of saving for so long, I'm saving big all right. Safe drivers save up to 20% with insurance. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance. 
do. No, no, cut that out. We don't have time for that. All right, let's go. We went more of a certain amount of time. I want to make sure we get to the end. Tigo, oh, man. what they've done to make it seem hospital to let people come to this funeral. It's going to be 40 people because of course, it's got to be involved. We see Cloris monitoring things on their hovercraft. Then we cut to the ISBHQ where Blevin has taken a report from Cloris about, uh, as you mentioned, Laura, about um, the, the interaction between Perrin and Mon Mothma. They've been monitoring her. Blevins mentions they could they could have something on Mon Mothma here. They could have her over a barrel, use her husband against her. Uh, they do mention the um, odd banking move. So clearly, they have been watching her. So she's right to be aware of this to start making moves here. One of the other ISB guys calls Blevin in to see what's going on with Krieger. We find out that no one survived this uh, attack, which pisses off Deidre. And part of guys has to, quote, talk her down. And tells her they had to wipe the taste of Aldani from the emperor's mouth. There's a visual I never wanted to see. And if yeah. she wants to have a conversation, why don't you find Axis? Uh, Luthen comes off his ship. He is now on Ferrex, slams his hood over his head, Sith-like, and takes off on that hover bike of his. Corvus, watching Brasso's place, realizes he's been played now. And we see Cassian meet up with Brasso in one of those tunnels under the hotel that Marva had said she was going to help clear out so the rebels could attack the Empire there on the planet and it's just a beautiful scene of Cassian expressing his guilt over fighting with Marva before he left Brasso tells him that Marva told him he would feel this way and tells him what Marva told him to tell him when he reacted this way and ends it by saying that she believed he will be an unstoppable force of good when everything clicks for him and the line of the show possibly I love him I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong it's a beautiful line uh, if you've ever lost, it's just a beautiful line. Anyway, Cassian wants to break out Bix, and Brasso says they must be keeping her alive for a reason, and that he'll take care of Marva. And then we cut to Cyril and Mosk arriving on Ferrex, and they switch hats for some reason. All uh, and all, so all the pieces are in place now. The town is prepping. Nurchie's in the street. The stormtroopers are watching. Luthen finds Vel. They have this back and forth about the Empire believing that um, Andor's in town. And that they're going to do the work for them by hunting down Andor. And they just have to make sure they kill him before he says anything to the Empire. So, And then he tells Vel to go get Sinta. He's going to head to the hotel. And the clanging starts from up in that tower, which seems a bit early, judging from everyone's reactions. And the action is about to begin. Let's stop there. Laura, thoughts on all of this that happened here with Luthen arriving, Cyril and Mosk, with the stuff going on at the ISB as well. And with the uh, information being told, and this beautiful scene, sorry, between Cassian and uh, Brasso about Marva. You know, one thing they think they really balanced well in the show was cutting in the scenes with the ISB and getting to sort of see what that other side is doing. We we kept a really good balance of that throughout the season, and I really enjoyed actually this scene where we ha- we kind of saw them like celebrating. I mean, it yeah. was kind of weird to think of like the the imp- this like deadly serious empire like all of a sudden just having like a little party for celebrating that they <laughs> killed a bunch of people <laughs> yeah um but the fact that you know in Deidre drives this home a couple of times in this episode where she's yeah. the one person that is just like why did nobody think to capture anybody in that party why did anybody why did not anybody say let's get a live body so we can question and torture them and find information like and it, it is kind of surprising because that's what the ISB, that's what their job kind of should be. And I get like, you know, what 
not Kyburn is is telling her in terms of the justification and needing to really just appease the emperor in this situation. Um, but I like that she really sticks to that. I mean, she's like, she's telling them on Ferrix, like, no, I don't want any snipers. I want yeah. him taken alive. I want to yeah. be able to like torture this dude and find out where Axis is. This is still my end game. Um, and even I think even towards like the end of it, like we're throwing all of that out the window. I mean, they're like they're when the action really starts, like they're just full blown fly, firing into the crowd, um, these snipers. So they're still nobody's listening to her still. And at the end of the day, like she is right, like in this sense. Um, but it's it's kind of a good thing. No one's listening to her in yeah. this sense. Thank God. Um, yeah, you're right. Right. Exactly. So Cassian and Brasso, when they meet back up, they hug and they hold that hug yeah. for like long a long time and it's really sweet and i'm like this episode is pretty long i think and i'm glad that they still took the time to like linger on some of these shots and hold some of these things um because i just thought it was really touching and then obviously that conversation that follows where he's like marva said you were gonna say all of this i'm telling you right now she said it's not your fault you know i love that line of like it was already burning he was just the first spark of the fire i'm like his whole speech and everything he's saying that he's relaying from what Marva said. You know, we talked about a little bit about how like some of this would have been like in the last episode, some of this would have been nice to hear from Marva directly. And I think they were kind of, I kind of understand, I think now why they were holding back um, because getting, when we get back into like her speech that she gives to sort of rev everybody up, um, that was really moving and really, really well done. And I, I was actually kind of, it made sense afterwards. And I think that's going to be one of those things upon a rewatch. When it will make a little bit more sense knowing yeah. what we know now. Um, I thought it was really well. Um, Cyril and Mosk. I'm like, this has to be like a reference to something that I haven't seen where they're switching hats. I don't understand. I'm like, somebody had to have picked up on this you know, and it's got to be saying, on the internet somewhere. Was the hat switch a callback to the Mark Brothers classic duck suit? Uh, which maybe. is possible because okay. what that happens is when they're in the mirror, Harpo and Groucho with each other, they, he's dressed up as Groucho and he, he's faking that he's looking into a mirror and then he <laughs> fools him by exchanging hats. So I don't oh. think that's actually the, the reference. Like in, like in Big Business. Oh, okay. Big business. Okay. Fair enough. All right, Laura. I don't know. Um, one other thing I thought was interesting was that uh, Luthen does not seem to know Dedra, but he seems to sort of know of her yeah. and like kind of knows that she's hunting him. I just thought that was an interesting well, detail. Because, because of Lonnie. Yeah, because Alani told him on the bridge. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't made the connection there, and I was yeah. just like, "Oh, that is kind of funny that he doesn't he doesn't fully know who she is because he's he's so in tune to everything, but that, like she's still sort of a missing piece of the puzzle for him." Um, one other thing I just wanted to, to mention was these these uniforms, like these sort of red robes that the daughters of Ferrix mm. are dressed in. We get all of these little like tidbits throughout the season of like the culture of Ferrix and like getting to see these red robes and the musicians warming up and with these instruments and the funeral procession and the sort of march. I just loved all of that. I just thought that was so cool to really, we really got to spend so much time on this planet digging into like what these people are all about. And I just thought it was perfect. I didn't even notice, I think until probably he'd had it on for a while, but Brasso wearing like the red uniform too. Like, I mean, this was clearly just, this kind of coordinated thing. And I'm just like, Oh, like he's kind of dressed like one of these and like, no, okay. This is just how they do things here with these funeral processions. And it's just 
really beautiful. I'm glad we got to see all those components of their culture, even though it was this very sad situation and sad scene of Marvel's funeral. Fair enough. Shannon, your thoughts here? Um, yeah, really, really well done section. The scene between... Oh, Johnny, you're going to get me upset. I know. <laughs> I cried twice in this damn uh, The scene between oh. Cassian and Brasso in the tunnels. Um, you know, anyone who has ah, lost a parent, and yeah. it was sudden. You know, you didn't get to say bye. I mean, it's it's all those thoughts that Cassian has that, you know, he's he, he, he wouldn't have said it to Zahn because they're, you know, they're they're on a line. Right. They know each other. They're acquaintances. They're not buddies. Like Brasso's his buddy. Brasso's his brother. So as he's sort of, you know, un, un, unpacking a little bit, and Brasso, you know, being the good friend and being like, "Look, this is this is what she said you were gonna say," and that <laughs> yeah, that that last line yeah, that I I love him more than anything he ever did wrong. I mean, that is such a powerful, powerful line. Um, really, really really good stuff i mean um yeah like deidre's ability to command is so is so just magnetic to watch i mean her insistence on like you know we do not want snipers i want them taken alive the the you know we're, we 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 catch her on the comms talking to partigas the whole thing of like a dead body offers us nothing yeah you know i mean she's so she's so pragmatic in her approach and she's you know she's right she is 100 right i mean the whole section is just so yeah it's just so so powerful i love that that bell ringer character oh my god who yeah who that man doesn't get a line of dialogue Not one line <laughs> um, but his ability like he just had he just has screen presence and as he's you know banging that bell and you know, you, you got to hit it hard to make it loud enough. But at the same time, and, and maybe this is act, maybe this is actor stuff. Um, but I'm kind of like, he is channeling so much rage that he feels every day into the banging of that bell. And again, it's just, yeah, it was, it was really, really, it was excellent. Which I'm going to get emotional. Yeah, definitely brother. And which, which is a nice callback to the opening three episodes that when the empire was coming, remember they banged the yeah. steel all across. So having him bang the thing is a way of really announcing the big movements that were going to happen here in the explosion. Uh, Michael, your thoughts here on these scenes here and uh, the stuff with Matt, uh, with uh, Cassian and uh, Brasso. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Lauren Shannon hit a lot of it. I think the ISB scene is really great because it's just the, it's the little bow on the end of the Mon Mothma arc for the season. Yeah. It's the bow that says Mon Mothma got the better of them. That like that they're they're taking what they heard from Mon Mothma and they're like, okay, that's what she said. Okay, good. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah. She's one step ahead of you bitches. Yeah. So that that was really great. Um, as far as like Deidre getting really upset about everything that happened with Krieger, I, I really like that because, as we've said, Deidre's smart. Yeah. And usually, what Star Wars does, whether they do it in Rebels or they do it with Hux in the new trilogy, like like the the flaw in the Imperial game plan, and and Cassian says this in the first episode, is they're so arrogant that they think they're smarter than everybody else. Yeah. And Deidre is the only Imperial officer, uh, aside from maybe Thrawn, that uh, that actually respects the enemy enough to go, they're smart, they're they're smarter than we are in some ways. They're thinking ahead of us. Yeah. And so I love that because like basically what happens here is 
ISB doesn't actually care the way that Deidre does about getting to the bottom of this. ISB cares about managing up. ISB cares about, look, yeah. Aldani made us look bad, but then we had this win. Palpatine is happy. Everybody's happy. We can all go home. It's fine. And Deidre's like, this is, you guys are just so stupid. <laughs> uh, and so it's really amazing to have a character like Deidre. It's the same reason that everybody loves Thrawn. Like to have a character that is like, no, no, no. I'm actually way smarter than all of you guys. And I see what's happening. And whether it's Thrawn talking about Harris and Dula or Deidre talking about Axis, you're like, yeah, these are, these are, these are villains I love to hate, but I also respect them. And that's, that's a really great uh, dynamic to have with a character. Yeah, 100%. I think you two really said it best. Everything in the sewers with Cassian and Brasso, like it was just beautiful. And Laura's right. This is why they took Marva away from us suddenly because Marva is taken away from Cassian suddenly. So we didn't get closure in that episode because Cassian didn't get closure. And this episode is our closure. If we had seen her on her deathbed saying to Brasso, tell Cassian this, this scene wouldn't have hit as hard as it did. Yeah. Um, So I thought it was really, really great the way that they did all of this. I also think it's great that Cassian's arc in this episode, he doesn't all of a sudden go lead Ferrisley. He's going to go save Bix. And it's because like calling back to that flashback with Clem, you know, that flashback is all about, People throw stuff away when it's broken. People just leave stuff behind. And Cassian, for most of this season, has been just running away from stuff. And this is the first episode where he comes back and deals with everything. He comes back to Ferrix. He comes back in. He saves Bix, who is clearly broken. uh, And he puts things right the way his dad taught him to, which is not what he had been doing up till this point. Um, And then the funeral starting early is just great. I mean, because they make such a point of it earlier on saying they asked for it to be at this time. We pushed it back two hours. We told them this. We told them only 40 people. Like they literally go down the list of what they told Ferrix to do. And then as soon as that bell ringer starts clanging that thing and everyone's like, whoa, what the fuck is happening? You're like, oh yeah, they didn't listen to you because this is the natural way. And it's like something that's been consistent throughout the season. Like the Empire tries to wipe out every every tradition, every piece of culture on every planet. It's like all, everything on Aldani was like, well, they're not even going to have this next year. We're wiping this out. We're not even going to do this thing. And now on Fair, it's like we're telling them how to do this funeral. This is when they do it, but we're telling them to move it here. And this whole funeral march is just in a before everything even breaks into a fight and this is what i loved about it this was a protest before it was a fight like them just having this funeral for a beloved person and everyone who wanted to be there was there and the bell ringer said this is when it was going to happen and they tuned up their instruments and they did it and the empire was scrambling uh, and it's just, it literally is everything that Nemec said in his manifesto brought to life in a, in just the most beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that, sir. I think you guys covered everything for sure. Let's, uh, let's take a, a quick break. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details jump into our next section here and i'm going to try to go through the action as quickly as possible here we go they fight 
<laughs> I mean, I guess I could do that for sure. Uh, real quick, we cut to the marching band warming up. Jidra uh, wants to know about the clanging. Luthen, Cyril, and Moss walk into town separately as the clanging increases. The morphal music starts. The feudal march starts. Wilmon leaves his place with a satchel on his person. Senta and Corver in the march. Uh, uh, Andor spies Luthen from up top of the tower. Bix is watching through her room and listening to it all. We see them come together. Nurchi is working with Korv. He says he has info, info for him, obviously about Andor. Gets himself fake arrested. Uh, uh, Cyril and Mosk try to get through, but are sent back. Deidre and her people know Andor is up there in the terrace. She walks out with death, clone death troopers, which we have not seen since Rogue One, so that's pretty cool to see. Uh, B2 Emo is there. Uh, I say the close-ups here are incredible. I effing love this show. Bix hums and cries as she listens to the song. Oh. Uh, as I said, so Marva, and suddenly it's quiet for a moment. All of a sudden, the music stops. Uh, and uh, remember, Marva said, once the sound stops, that's when you'll really want to start to fret. Way back when, when she was talking about the reckoning. And then the music picks up in speed, and they move quicker. And I said, this part of the song needs to be a remix, like right now, by tonight. Someone needs to be doing that right now. Uh, the Empire soldiers with Cork go after Andor. Uh, Andor is not there. He's underneath the tunnels. We hear the chant of stone and sky. Andor sneaks through the kitchen, runs into Tenek, who tells him where Bix is. That Bituimo casts a hologram at an incredible speech from Marva Karasi Andor, also known as MCA in other circles. And she has an incredible speech that she delivers here about fighting the Empire. I'm not going to get into it. We'll talk about it when we break it all down there. Uh, Tigo's had enough, tries to block the hologram, and makes the un- her forgivable sin of throwing B2 Emo over like uh, <laughs> yesterday's news, and that ignites the fight. Igna- Brasso knocks the shit out of Tigo. Everybody's going at each other. The clanging is going on here. Wilmont's had enough, throws the bomb, explodes stuff. Cyril runs like a bat out of hell to try to protect Deidre. And Deidre ends up getting dragged through the streets here. A la Mussolini, a la other dictators. She is essentially, it looks like they're going to beat her up or drag her and kill her. God knows what else. And eventually, um, uh, Cyril grabs the blaster that's been kicking around, leads her in, and they have this insane moment inside the uh, inside the closet there between each other. And I, saw, I swear to God, I thought they were going to kiss. Like, one of them was going to go in. But I'll be damned, Cyril said all the right things, kept his distance. <laughs> And even had a sweet smile on his face saying, you don't have to say thank you. You were in trouble. Oh, smart son of a bitch in that situation. So really well done, all of this. And then Tigo loses his mind, tells the soldiers to fire at will. They start shooting everybody. Zan Juan dies. Sadly, we see Bix and Andor get out of that hotel. Pagla starts dragging B2 Immel behind him, trying to save him. Shooting on the street. Deidre has her cap shot off, as I said. Oh, that's earlier. Never mind. Never mind. We're moving forward here. Uh, and so he saves her. And all this. Then Luthen stands apart because, of course, Luthen stands apart, watching it all happening, not taking part in it. And Vel and Sintar are packing up. And then we see that Jez, Brasso, and Pegler are prepping the ship to escape with Wilmon. And Cassian and Bix show up. He wants to know if they can make it to Ganjimoon. Cassian gives Jez directions. Bix says Cassian will find us. He, he always does. And to me, that's the moment he becomes all in on the rebellion and they take off as he walks back into town. Shannon McClung, if I missed anything, feel free. But that's all the action. You're the action guy. What do you th- what did you think of this whole situation here or sequence here in uh, in this episode? It was the slow buildup, starting yeah. with the bell ringer, going to the percussion to the drum, that slow like like Ferrix has this percussive 
this percussive thing sort of in their DNA that is so powerful. And yeah. even just the expressions on the marching band's face. Like, you know, these these people are, are you know, these are musicians. Some of them might be actors, but more than likely they, they were probably played, hired to play instruments or it, or they're all actors and those are just fake instruments. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but just the expressions on everyone's face. I'm especially thinking that lead drummer. Like yeah. he just had this morose expression. And you can see the the nervous looks between the Imperials and they they have like their, you know, their, like their riot gear, their riot shields. And when it stops and then they pick up, you know, that, you know, the pace picks up. It's so exciting. And, and you know, you see Brasso holding the funerary stone. I, I, again, oh, another yeah. tear when you see B2 as he's part of this procession. Oh, my God. And then that just this fantastic speech by fiona shaw and you can feel it's like watching an old looney tune with the mercury in a thermometer like you can see it start (laughs) you can see it rising like something is about to happen and when she's saying you know fight them fight these bastards fight the empire and that one imperial officer is kind of like enough not only does he throw his coat on top of the hologram that b2 is projecting which solved the issue he then table throws him and then we see Brasso, the fact that he was able to use Marva's funerary stone as a yeah. weapon, even yeah. in death, she's knocking Imperials out. I'm like, oh my God, this is so awesome. And it cracked me up that like the stormtroopers were not moving. That yeah. it was essentially, it was a funeral that had turned into a riot. Yeah. And, you know, Fiona Shaw even said like, you know, we helped keep their, we helped keep their, you know, their, their hyper lanes open. So you get the sense like we they don't want to kill these people. Like they produce something that we need until it got to the point like, all right, now we have to put them down. And even once they open fire, you just see the righteous rage that the people of Ferrix have that, (laughs) that scream that Brasso does as it is beginning. It was just so, so awesome. Um, You know, you know, I, you know, I called her Deidre Sneero uh, a couple episodes ago. (laughs) When right. she gets hit by that brick, oh man! To, I mean, the sneer doesn't look good when you've been when you've taken a hit. I mean, she just had this expression, like this bell rung expression. Um, and even though she's a villain and we don't like her, I mean, we've enjoyed watching her. But you know, she's a bad guy. Watching her get pulled into this mob, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's unsettling. And it really was scary as much as I hate her. I was like worried for her in that moment. And that's absolutely. And you know what? It's like it's Star Wars. They're only going to push it so far, but, but the visual of these hands on her dragging her back, it was just such that the the filmmaking was just, it was really, really well done. Um, uh, The, the, you know, Cyril gets to save her and you can tell she's never had her bell rung, not just physically, but also that someone, someone stuck up for her. someone was there to protect like oh my gosh you just see you know her her brain moving a mile a minute um yeah everything was just was just awesome and even though like a lot of those characters we don't know that well it was still heartbreaking to see them go down like zan who you know that that shot to the back when they eventually opened that basically like the 50 caliber uh, yeah, blaster yeah. that you see it's it's hitting these people and they're flying across it was just so it was so well done because i mean the action was choreographed really well it was shot really well but we are so invested emotionally in the story and i think that's what 
I mean, that's what that's what brought me to tears watching this section. It was just, you know, they just they got me. Yeah, that speech was incredible, Mike. Certainly the the what Marva tells them to do in this. I mean, Tony Gilroy is writing something here. I hope people recognize this thing is working on a, so many levels. Those store, those uh, troopers and those uh, soldiers with that riot gear equipment on, holding the crowd back. There's a reason they shot these things. There's an illusion, the stuff that we have seen in the news in our own country and in other countries for people watching it all over the world. So there's no undeniability of what's happening. here. It's your idea who you think's on what side, but it's certainly uh, he's making a commentary here with writing this episode. So what do you think of this whole battle sequence and everything that happened leading up to uh, uh, Cassian putting uh, his his people on the ship and, and taking back, to, taking off to go see Luthen? Yeah, like it was great. I mean, I, I I saw I saw a meme that said every other person working on Star Wars. I had Star Wars toys as a kid, and I love to send them on adventures. And I love that I get to do these adventures now as a grown up. And Tony Gilroy, here is a handbook on how to fight oppression and tyranny. Like <laughs> this is this is what I'm gonna yeah. do with my Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what this is. I mean, Shannon is right. You know, like just this slow build up, and then this just pregnant pause as they stand there, and the fact that it's B two. That gets to project. I mean, look, droids projecting holograms from day one has been yep. an essential part of the Star Wars DNA, and this is it. And holy shit, like what a moment! Um, and yeah, everything she says is so great because it's about complacency. Yeah, uh, this is what you know. We all of us love to watch Star Wars and be like, "How did they let that bad guy take over the galaxy? That guy was in a robe and wrinkly and looked like a bad guy. They should have known. And Fiona Shaw lays it all out. Like, she's like, yeah, like it was fine at the beginning. They came for a little bit. We gave them what they wanted. We still had each other. It wasn't a big deal. And then it was a little bit worse. And then it was a little bit worse. And we never stood up. And we never stood up. And we never stood up. And now that I'm dead, I wish I had stood up earlier. I wish I had. And you can, and Shannon is exactly right. You just see everything she's saying. You just, and it's not over the top. You just see these expressions that are just these honest reactions to people being like, yeah, this is right. And yeah, then Drone's use of the close-ups during that yeah. speech were so effective, Mike. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And then the tipping of B2 oh. is the tipping point. Like it was the tipping point for everybody. <laughs> it's the tipping point for the audience, and it's the tipping point for Ferrix. Like they were like, okay, this is this is enough. Um, and then it just all goes insane. Uh, you guys are right about Deidre. The one thing about the Deidre serial thing that I found interesting that none of you said that you didn't say was in episode three, Cyril is a very dedicated, very passionate, very smart uh, officer who wants to be an Imperial officer, uh, who then gets in over his head on Ferrix and is a little shell-shocked and has PTSD. Right. And now Deidre is a very smart, very efficient Imperial officer who goes to Ferrix and very quickly when she's out in the field in the middle of the ship finds herself over her head. And Cyril ends up saving her. Yeah from the exact same position that he was in at the end of episode three. So you see this way that Cyril has grown as a character and you see this connection between them. And it's just a fascinating, like I know that we have this time jump and I just am fascinated to see where these two are going to be when we catch up to them at the beginning of next season, because 
she was like, she didn't really think of him as anybody important. He was yeah. just a tool that she was using to get to Axis. He was in love with her. She was like, you are a creepy motherfucker. Stay away from me. But now, like, this is someone who shows no vulnerability. And he finds her in her most vulnerable moment. Yeah. And she's like, I think I should thank you. Like, they just, it's going to be the most weird relationship ever in Star Wars. Um, the one thing you did leave out that is my favorite thing in the episode is when oh, the bell I, ringer oh. kicks that stormtrooper out of the fucking bell tower. Yes. It's a great, it's a great awesome moment it that is. you just cheer. You're like, oh, fuck yeah. But it also, <clears throat> because the bell ringer just represents tradition it repre he represents the specific culture of ferrix this is Great what ferrix is and the stormtrooper comes up to shut him down and he's like fuck no like it was just it was just great i mean so yeah i mean and everything else i mean like it just like we said it made it all real and and the one thing i will say luthan as far as your your boy luthan what I like, I I looked at that scene. I, I I saw it a little bit differently than you, but only because Everybody I think the. Everybody okay over there? Okay? <laughs> no, I'm good here. I just want to make sure you guys are okay. God. Well, what do you think Luthen was supposed to do there? Save his life, basically. That's what he save did. whose life? I'm saying he saved his life. But what did you? What did pick you up want a him blaster and fight? Even Cyril ran into the mix to save someone he cares about. He cares about no one. They're so, all. They've all become. I, I don't think he. Legendary. I don't think he cares about no one. I think he cares about everyone. But I think the only person who hates Luthen more than John Roca <laughs> is Luthen. Probably. Like I think Luthen hates himself. Like he's basically said this. Like <clears throat> I think the reason that they have him standing there, set apart from everything and looking down on it, is he's looking like this is what he, this is what he has said he wants to happen. Yeah. Like he needs this to happen. Seeing. Oh, it's a good point. Mike. He yeah, needs yeah. this to happen. Yeah. He. This is what has to happen to get people this upset to fight the Empire on a galactic level. And it sucks. And people die. And it's horrible. And so him standing there watching this happen, when you look at the reality of it, it's what he says to Lonnie in the last episode. Like, he's very clear on the fact that he's going to hell. He knows that he's a horrible person. And that he has to do horrible things to make this happen. But that he's doing it so that the people of the next generation don't grow up in as horrible a world that he's growing up in. So I, I, I don't necessarily think you're wrong, but I think that Luthen actually agrees with you more than anybody else does. Yeah, you're probably right. He's probably, I hate myself. Anyway, yeah, <clears throat> fantastic, uh, really enjoyed. And also I, th I think uh, the thing with Wilmont is really interesting too as well. I mean, how you view that, because he is essentially a terrorist building a bomb to yeah. kill people and he's a young kid. There's there's illusions here, commentaries about how empires, how superpowers can go into a country and inflict their own personal policies and create terrorists out of that. There's certainly been conversations about that. Gilroy is working on so many levels here. I am still utterly shocked that Disney let him do this. It's incredible the commentary that he's making, not just about other countries, our country, and that is really shocking to see from Disney. If there's anything that uh, under the Bob Chapek regime that should not be touched, it's this for God's sakes when Iger now that Iger is in charge. Laura, your thoughts overall on all the action, the explosions, the different people Cyril and and uh, uh Deidre getting together here kind of mosque ending up just got a drink and a beer on the side in the alley. What are your thoughts on everything and Luthen and Cassian as well or uh, Cassian putting everybody on the ship and then taking off to see Luthen? 
Oh, don't worry. We'll get to Deidre and Cyril here in a second. But no. I want to touch on um, the way that Marva's speech sort of ends um, is probably my favorite part of it because yeah. the music starts to swell and she's, you know, saying those lines of like, maybe it's too late, maybe it's useless, but if I could do all of this again, I'd wake up early and fight these bastards. And the way that she delivers that last line, she kind of spits it out almost. Yeah. And the delivery is just perfect. It's so good. And I, it, it's one of those episodes I think that I'll come back and watch just for that speech because it was great. Yeah. Um, that like prefect guy knocking over B2, <laughs> if I had been at a table, I would have flipped it over because I was so shocked <laughs> at six in the morning watching this yeah. that I think I made a sound out loud, probably woke up the whole household. Um, but it just, that was so upsetting for me, for most of us, I'm sure, watching. That was just awful. Um, when, uh, when, what did I want to touch on next? Cyril and um, and Deidre, I loved that from the start, the yeah. little hint that there was, like, something there. And then what Mike just went through, talking about their connection there and how it's sort of come back around with Deidre on the other side of things. Now I love it even more. Yeah. So this is your fault now. Um, but this <laughs> I'm sorry. Is, I'll this take that. I'll take that. Any ship, if you, if you can give me a ship to ship in anything, be it Star Wars or not Star Wars, any story, I'm in. And I I didn't realize that I was kind of missing that in this show um, until we got it in that one little hint of it in that last episode or the one episode where they sort of had their little confrontation. I was just like, oh, this is what I've been missing from this show. I could have used more of this. I would have maybe been on board a little bit sooner. <laughs> but the fact that they 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 didn't overdo it, the fact that they actually didn't kiss yeah. in that scene, although I was cheering for it, believe me. I mean, I have it in my note, like, in all caps. There are massive amounts of notes in all caps. This, like, your, your, your gif on Twitter was very, <laughs> very funny. <laughs> it was the first thing I thought of. It's always the first thing I think of is that, uh, that gif from 30 rock um but <laughs> i thought it was perfect i really enjoyed them together i'll be very curious to see it like there are so many components of this first season that i'm really curious to see how they play out in the new format that we're going to get in season two of the three blocks um each being four blocks of three each taking place over a year um it's just going to be really interesting i just want to know where their story goes i could use a whole book on just that like, give me a whole comic i'll do i'll read a whole series on just their weird relationship and how weird it can, how, however weird they'll let it get. Um, yeah. Getting into the very end of this episode, I, which I think we did, we got to the part where they were like preparing the ship to yes. go off planet. Yeah. Did anybody else sit back and think, oh, that ship's getting shot down? Did anybody think that like that's, Ooh, this is not going to end well? I, I was waiting minute. for it. Okay. And oh, I'm so ah. glad they didn't do that, but I was waiting for it. I thought yeah. for sure there was going to be one more bad thing. <laughs> that happens at the end of this episode. I'm glad they didn't go there. I agree. That, that I think that would have broken Cassie. I think that just would have been too much. That's, that would have been the bridge too far. Um, Suck says real quick, uh, uh, Cyril and Deidre become pregnant in season two and later give birth to General Hux. Thoughts? Oh <laughs> that went too far. They, went, they took it too far. <laughs> Where'd you get those Hold ears? On. Oh, my dad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, let's get into the last section here because we're going to lose all in about 10 minutes. So uh, what do we leave off? Oh, yeah. Uh, Luthen stands apart, does nothing. Okay, let's go past that. All right, anyway, uh, we cut to Mon Mothma arranging the, Mita for, the meeting for, Le for Lita, her daughter, and Davos' son. And we see the look on her face. We see the look on Mon Mothma's face. Lita's excited about this. Mon Mothma is not. 
Maybe because when she was Lita's age, she too was excited to marry Perrin. And we see what that turned out. So maybe a little bit of a mother's face there going like, you have no idea what you're getting into. As I said, Mosk is drinking an alley on Ferrix. Luthen is, Luthen is riding back to a ship on his hover cycle. When he gets there, he tells his AI to initiate the cloning device. What? You must, and you just know Cassian is there. And sure enough, he is. No, he says cloaking device. Cloaking, whatever. Cloaking, that's what I meant. Did I write cloak? Oh, sorry about that. You know, it's Star Wars. Cloning is a very different thing in Star Wars. You know, it's in Star Wars. So it's a mistake, an honest mistake. Anyway, you just know Cassian is there. And sure enough, he is. He confronts him about killing him. The acting here, to me, between the two of them, is fantastic. In the nonverbal stuff and the verbal stuff. The shots that uh, uh, he uses here, the director, I I lost it. Benjamin Corbett, the way shots he uses here, of of Diego Luna and of um, Luthen in that moment, I think is fantastic. He says, kill me or take me in. And I think Luthen hesitates for two reasons. One, he knows he might get shot and Cassian might kill him. And Lord knows Luthen likes to stay alive. And second, it may also be because he sees in Cassian's eyes that he is fully committed to the rebellion, the way Vel is, the way Cinta is, the way others are. And he knows that he can use him in the rebellion for good. So, I think those are those two things operating, in my opinion. We get to the post-credit scene. Droids are working on these contraptions that they were uh, uh, working on on Narkeena 5. They're putting it into the shields of something. And as we pull out, it's the shields for the Death Star. All roads always lead to the Death Star. Laura, since you got to leave us soon, please, your thoughts on this section and the post-credit scene. Um, we got a lot of very pretty costumes with Mon Mothma over the course of this series, but I don't remember seeing the like blue and gold that they all had the sort of matching look on at the very end of this episode, and I really enjoyed it. So the overall costume stuff with them, it was just so, everything with with her and with Chandrilla and with the embassy was so pretty to look at, and especially like back in episode four, that was such like a a kind of relief and sort of change in color palette that I really needed. And so the fact that they kind of, they kept bringing that back and using Chandrilla in that way, in a way that I really appreciated. Um, you scared me a little bit with that cloning remark. I was like, yeah, wow, I missed yeah. something big. in the morning when I was typing. I apologize. Cloaking. I 100% can <laughs> empathize with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, let me see. I don't know if there's a whole lot else I have to hit on because that post credit scene, I'm glad that they included it. Um, I don't, I think we all kind of suspected that that's what those pieces were. It was like some sort of component of the Death Star. Um, I'm glad that they didn't like spend the time in the actual like episode, like the prison episodes to like show us that's what it was. I feel like it would have like stopped the episode dead in some ways. So including it here, I thought was a really good fit. Why do you think Um, Ethan didn't shoot it? Um... I don't know. I think that he is, I think that there's a little bit of distance growing between Luthen and Vel. Um, And I almost Mm -hmm. wonder if like maybe him bringing Cassian into the, into his sort of, you know, into his game is going to maybe be pushing Vel out a little bit because she, we've seen her become more and more disillusioned with everything that she's been doing in this first season. And I wonder if maybe this building relationship between Cassian and Luthen is maybe going to push her away even more. Maybe there's going to be some jealousy component. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see where they take her story. But the fact, I, I think, I just am kind of surprised that Luthen survived this yeah. whole season. I mean, I thought for sure, he was one of the people on my list I thought for sure was not going to make it out of the first season. Because I'm like, they're not going to get Selen Scarsgard back for a second season. Like, 
the fact that they got him for this this whole first season of this show i was kind of surprised but here we are i stand corrected i think they just recently started shooting season two so very excited to see where where it goes next and yes i do hope that they pick up the storyline with cassian's sister otherwise that'd be kind of weird that we started with that and then just never circled back to it i imagine they'll circle back to it but yeah, be interesting to see where it goes. Well, if, if there's anything Luther knows how to do, it's survive. Uh, talk to me about uh, the going into season two. Your your predictions here before we let you go, Laura. You were mentioning earlier you might have some thoughts and predictions here. Since we're going to lose you here in a couple of minutes, your thoughts on it? Oh, it was mostly just about Val. That was kind of where where I was okay. going with that. I don't have a whole lot else to add. Um, I am curious to see more of Bix. We really just did not get a ton yeah. with her this season. I mean, we got like her being torture moments were great, but I just now that we've got like that shitty ex-boyfriend she had out of the picture, it'd be really kind of great to maybe see something with her and Cassie and build a little bit, but then that will inevitably end tragically. So maybe I don't want that. I don't know. I would just like to see more of her because I thought she did a great job. The little that we had with her uh, in this, in this first season. Yeah, certainly. If you're a, if you're a stool pigeon in Ferrix, you die. Tim and Nurchie both died. Uh, it's <laughs> to, you know, turn an evidence there against the, or against the uh, Ferrix people. So uh, any final words, Laura, before we let you go? Cause I know you got to run. No, that's all I got. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Laura, for joining us on this whole trip. Or Andrew, we love you madly. Please plug everything <clears throat> you've got. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. This was great. I'm glad I got to spend so much time with you guys this season talking about this show. And if you all want to follow me on Twitter, it's at shutup underscore Laura. I'm also on Hive now. Lots of Star Wars Twitter oh, yeah. is making their way to Hive. Um, they don't do underscores, so it's just shut up Laura over on Hive. <laughs> Um, and there'll be a new episode of Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour out this week. Alice and I are going to talk a little bit more in detail about The High Republic. Convergence is the new adult novel. It's the first adult novel of phase two of The High Republic. And I read it. It is amazing. Wow. 10 out of 10 recommend. We'll talk more about it on there. Right on. Follow her there. And of course, Laura and I will be back with the Jedi Way now that we're done with these Andor reviews in a couple of weeks for sure to start December with a new episode. Thank you, Laura Kelly. You're the best. We love you. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great night. Thank you, too. Bye, Laura. All right, that was we're going to keep going here. Michael, your thoughts, uh, and of course, that was a great Laura. We love her. Thank you so much for being on. So, Michael, your thoughts here on these final scenes we have with Luthen and Cassian, Mosk there, and also with that Death Star stinger. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think that there's any big mystery to why Luthen doesn't shoot him. I think that uh, he came to Ferrix originally because he thought Cassian was an interesting prospect. He was like, Cassian's yeah. really great. He brought him in because he was like, this guy could be really great. This guy seems like the real deal. I think we could really use him. He proved himself on Eldani. Then he ran off. So he was a, he was a loose end that needed to be tied up. They were going to kill him. But when he comes back and is just like, look, you can kill me. I, like I'm, I got nothing left. So you can right. kill me, or you can take me in. I'm ready. I mean, he gets what he wants. Right. This right. is what this is what he wanted since episode two when he showed up. So, I think he does see it. I do think Laura brings up a really good point. I think that Vel, they have not been subtle in the fact that Vel doesn't do things by the book. Mm. Vel doesn't yeah. do things the way she's supposed to. She pisses Clea off a lot. Yeah. Um, she doesn't put the rebellion first the way that Cinta does. And I think that what we are going to see when we catch up with Cassian in season two is someone who's a lot like Cinta. Yeah. He's got nothing left. I mean, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Bix and B2 and Brasso um, and what his relationship with them will be, if he sees them often, if he sees them at all. But I think that part of the reason that they're going to be there is to show that Cassian definitely puts the rebellion first. And I think that he and Cinta might be like thick as thieves 
not romantically or maybe romantically who knows um but like um and I think that's going to be a big issue for Vel. So I do think Laura is, I didn't think about that until she said it, but as soon as she said it, I was like, oh, that, that seems right. That seems right. Yeah. Um, as far as the Death Star, you know, not like a huge surprise. A lot of us were kind of guessing that when we were on Narkina 5, but great to be, have it confirmed. I also really enjoyed the, uh, the parallel of seeing Willman kind of, uh, use, uh, like soldering the bomb yeah. in the very first scenes and then seeing the droids doing the same thing to the Death Star. Uh, at the end, which I thought was just a really nice parallel. Um, but yeah, and it's just, this is what the Empire is doing. They are using everybody in the galaxy to build their giant super weapon. Um, yeah. So you thought it was great. As far as season two, like, it's just going to be really great to see Cassian fully invested um, and who he is there and what that is. And it's going to be great to see that moment when Cassian and Mon Mothma meet. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of, I agree with Laura about the costumes. I that blue and gold was really striking for some reason. Yeah. Like when those doors open and they were all three standing there, like really, really striking. And yeah, just showing that Mon Mothma, like she did it. She went through it. She, her, her money problems seemingly are over, <laughs> but at quite a cost. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's going to be interesting, too, because it seems like uh, Cassian has built his first team with Brasso, with Bix, with Jez, with B2Emo. I don't think you know, I don't think so. You don't think they're going to be in? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. You think they're just going to take off and not have a part in this necessarily? I think they might. I, look, Bix had her part in it. Like, I, I think maybe they will be. But I don't think this turns into Bix, Brasso and Cassian and, and B2 running around. Like, I don't think that Andor would want his friends to be in danger. I think okay. he's probably going to hold them at arm's distance in much the same way that Cinta holds Vel at arm's distance. Yeah. You know, it's kind of ironic because Brasso was the one that told him, Hey, why don't you do something constructive on this planet? Do something right. Like episode one, when he was a bit of a, you know, a drifter, she, he was telling him to do. And, and, and uh, it was Bix who was the one that was involved in the rebellion, helping with the rebellion, helping Luthen. So be very curious if you can keep yeah. Bix out of this. I, I, I really doubt you can. So we'll see how that, plays out for sure shannon your thoughts on these final scenes uh the stinger and uh what you might think what you think might be happening in season two i mean i'm with you the shot of moss taking a tug off that flask I mean, come on I mean, <laughs> like i we didn't get to see we didn't really get to see what he did in that whole skirmish i would have liked to have seen him through a couple of haymakers and at the end he's just taking it like yeah it was a good fight Good yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he just yeah. seems like that type of guy. Who just, we live like, again. Like, we live again. <laughs> he just he just needs to go out and and punch a few people, and then and then he's good. Um, you know the the idea that Mon Mothma now has a reason for why her, the money was missing. She now seemingly her money troubles have been solved, but also I think being married uh, or being connected to a gangster is going to possibly present some real issues and that's you know i mean that's that's what where i imagine her her story is going to go and we've seen that you know she will throw her husband under the bus and perhaps perrin i mean you know vogel was right like i I was thinking like oh this is some sort of white collar crime i was like oh no he's just the reason like gambling apparently isn't illegal um so this is just the reason that the money was gone but i i do think at some point we will see the um dissolving of that relationship mm-hmm. in, in, in some form. Um, no, I, I do agree with Vogel that I think we're not going to see, like we might see Brasso and Bix again. Um, I think her, her usefulness to Luthen was 
she was able to get stuff for them. They're no longer on Ferrix where she has that connection. I mean, they're wherever they're going, they're probably not going to stay on Ferrix. Um, and the, you know, scene between Cassian and Luthen, um, definitely agree that he would want Cassian would want to keep the people he cares about far away from this kind of dangerous situation. But also that's the reason that in my mind's eye, why Luthen, does see a use for him like he's got nothing like he literally was just yeah. at his mom's funeral yeah. um the thing that makes him useful is the fact that he does have no attachments and you know cassian literally came to him and said you know kill me or take me in yeah. um and at that point like he's no longer a loose end like when he when he got when he took the money and ran he was a loose end we didn't know who he was going to talk to yeah. um now he he has come back willingly so it's like this guy could be this guy could be a, a useful tool in the future. Now that's um, no longer for money. He's more dedicated. So I can trust that more. Yeah. That's possible. And, and like, like I, I did think the stinger, you know, we, we had chatted that it might be, you know, parts for the death star. And ultimately uh, Cassian had a hand in the machine that killed him. It kills him. Um, yeah. But even though it was sort of like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really give us a whole lot to look forward to in season two. The, construction of something in space is always just the coolest thing i remember in rogue one when they were sort of installing the big dish yeah. and now seeing how this part is constructed here you know it's zero gravity this part is and slowly we're going to kind of smush this thing together to create the ultimate killing machine i mean it's just visually it was just really really stunning um and one thing that i i forgot to mention um during the big action sequence um i love that we got to see just a sliver of that sense of badassness i wish we would have given her a bigger moment um because i feel like i feel like the promise of her throughout the series i think she earned a bigger moment like obviously she you know she she shivved the guy like that was it but i wish we would have seen something a little more I mean, maybe it, but maybe the shiving worked for the real worldness aspect of this show. I'm like, I wanted something a little more grandiose. Um, but yeah, I do sense that Senta and Cassian are are going to be stronger companions in season two. On a yeah, maybe. I mean, him, the way she killed him, she looked into his eyes and waited for yeah. a life to drain out. That's brutal. Whereas with Cassian, when he was disarming that guard. Uh, in front of uh, Bix's room, the camera moves up. So you don't actually see him killing the person. You hear it and you see it like it's shooting, but you don't see the reaction of the person actually going lifeless. And so with that moment, even in silhouette, even in the shadows, it was badass. And yeah, I think Cinta is very much going to be, but I disagree with both of you. I think Brasso, who's the first one to kick Tigo and start this whole thing off, is very much converted by that speech from Marva. I think Bix has a score to settle with Deidre for what she did to him, did to her torture-wise. Uh, Jez certainly as a daughter of Ferex may be involved in this. B2 Emo, I don't know how he's going to be involved in this. But I think they're all going to be involved in the rebellion and fighting. And there ain't nothing Cassian can do to stop it. I think Well, absolutely- but I think that, that might be – but, I mean, you might have just hit on what part of the story is. Yeah. I think that Cassian does not want them anywhere near the rebellion. Right. I think he wants them to be safe. I think you could very well be right that Brasso and certainly Bix are going to be like, fuck you, you can't tell me what's yeah, going to be a part of the rebellion. And also, I think that even though Bix isn't on Ferrix anymore, she's proven that she was useful to Luthen. Yeah. And Luthen might still, like, I think that there could be a very, there could very easily be a Cassian saying to Luthen, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Do not 
do not let them do anything. Right. Keep them safe. Oh, man. And then if Luthen doesn't do that, that drives a huge wedge between Cassian and Luthen. Yeah. So you can see where, and look, we might be completely wrong on all of this, but you can see where Cassian and Cinta working really well together would drive a wedge between Vel and Cassian and Vel and Cinta. You can see that if Bix and Brasso wanted to help out and wanted to do what Cassian is doing and he didn't want them to, yeah. and Luthen let them do stuff anyways, that would drive a wedge between Cassian and Luthen. So seeing all these places where these characters can work well together, but also work well against each other means that they did a very, very good job this season. Because even if we're totally wrong, it just, you can see all the possibilities on the table. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. I do think that sister storyline will play itself out in season two. I think they've laid ground. I agree with you about Cinta Shannon. I think she's going to have a bigger part to play in season two. He wrote this thing with 24 episodes in mind, not 12 episode chunks. So he knows where he's going with this. And so we got a good introduction of all these characters and the ones we want more from, I imagine they're going to have a central, a more central role to play. Bix and Cinta, in my opinion, will play a stronger role in the second season for sure, where we get to see more of that. And the Vel Cinta thing, absolutely. I wonder where, where Vel goes with this. I just wonder where she goes with this because Mon Mothma may end up eclipsing her in her dedication to the Rebellion, and it may be a step too far that even Vel can't go down. And that could be interesting to see as well. The power dynamic shifting in that relationship for sure. Um, we've got a bunch of Streamlabs Super Chats. So let's get to them real quick because I know we want to get on with our holidays here. We appreciate everybody's watching right now. we got 280 of you watching right now. Please hit that like button as we go through these uh, Streamlabs and Super Chats. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> thanks for the great insightful commentary. I'm excited to see how things go with Dwight and Angela. I mean, uh, Deidre and Cyril next season. The awkward sensual, sexual tension is powerful. That's great. That That's funny. Great. Sure. <laughs> uh, Christina B saying I loved Ferrix's FU to the Empire to have Marva's funeral on their terms also the music and direction in that scene was beautiful yeah yeah, yeah that music was great I mean yeah. that and that's the the fact that the theme that we've been hearing all season long was tied into like that funeral like it was it just it was all perfect it was beautiful I agree Nicholas Bertel did the music and the score for this uh, series and it was fantastic in this episode for sure. Theral on fiction saying time grappler equals equals Iger stormtrooper equals Chapek. Ten out of ten. I don't know what that means. Do you guys know what that means? No, not at what all. Is time grappler. The time grappler. Well, he's the guy. He's the bell ringer. Oh, that's yeah. the guy's name. Yeah, I think that's time what he's credited as. Oh yeah, he's grappler. Iger and he yeah. So the, so yeah, he he's Iger and he kicked Chapek out of the tower. Oh okay, I get it. <laughs> Love the veiled stuff. All right. Phil P says, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called Marva's funeral. Shout out to the close quarters shanking. And just as all the pieces are on the chessboard, my man drops the bomb and blows the whole board up. And I'm here for it. Absolutely, Phil. Uh, Stamp Hemphill says, now that, uh, now that adult Star Wars is a thing, picture a series or movie centered around Finn with the feel of Andor becoming a Jedi with flashbacks Looking at his struggle to overcome PTSD, stormtrooper conditioning, use your connections, make this happen. I'm gonna make some calls. Yeah, I love it. I love that optimism. Yeah. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, look, I do think, idea, I, I yeah. do think that, and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. Like, I, I, I think that it is probably to our detriment when we classify things as grown-up Star Wars and not grown-up Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, like, sure. it's all Star Wars. But it's some is better done. And I think that, you know, look, I would love, like, Andor made the decision, uh, you know, there's no Jedi, there's no lightsabers, right. 
The aliens are very specifically used when we want them and not other places. Uh, and I, that means we don't have a canto bite, which is probably for the best. But I think that there's elements of like the amazing, epic, sweeping mythological storytelling of other Star Wars and combining that with the gritty reality of what we've gotten in Rogue One and what we have in Andor, like taking the best of both would be the best for all of us. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, Lou, Lou Heap Fan says, no question here, just want to give some love. Andor started out boring and it got better, but not better than what Rogue One promised me. Still don't care for Andor, but Luthan and Mon Mothma were characters I gravitated to most. Love you guys. Yeah, there have been some criticisms that Andor certainly wasn't the... Although he was the name of the show, he didn't always feel like the most interesting part of the show. But I think that's going to change into season two. But we we had to go on his journey, on his arc. And not a lot of people are going to cheer for a drifter who is just trying to scrounge by and cheat people out of things and get a town in trouble because of a personal pursuit. So we had to kind of go through that. And the whole thing with Marva and everything he experienced on Arkina 5, those are the things that change him. And so now we've got a much more committed uh, Cassian that we saw from Rogue One, and I think that's what we're going to see in Rogue Two. Uh, Ro- uh, sorry, in Andor Two. What do you guys think? Yeah, man, I think we said this in the very first episode. Like Cassian yeah. is a reluctant protagonist. Cassian yes. is not the at least in these twelve. And you know, as as John said, like this was envisioned as twenty four episodes. Right. So it was twenty four episodes to get Cassian to be a guy. So for better or for worse, and I think I think there's things that are really great about it. I think there's things that are challenging about it. But when you have a main character whose main goal is to do the opposite of what we know he is ultimately going to end up doing, um, it makes it more challenging because most of the time he's not going to be the one driving the action forward. So you had a bunch of other characters around him, whether that be Nemec or Melshi or Luthen or these other characters that were like pushing him in the direction he needed to go. But the whole time he was like, no, 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 no. And only now at the end of episode 12, is he like, all right, I'm in. Yeah. Right, right, right. Shannon, anything to add to that? (coughs) I was going to, but then uh, uh, fate (laughs) intervened and choked me. (coughs) No, I, I mean, I, I get it. Like, like a, a, like a, I don't inactive protagonist. Isn't the right, isn't the right term because he was very active, but he, his goals were uh, uh, short term mm-hmm. versus long term. Now we've gotten to the end of season one where now he is going to have that long term goal. And that makes the journey, I think, uh, possibly a little more uh, from a from a character standpoint, a little more interesting. Yeah, fair point. All right. Phil P says huge love to the Geek Buddies and Laura from London. See you all next Easter for celebration. Hopefully <laughs> kudos to Fiona Shaw highlighting one universal truth. Never, ever piss off an Irish mom or come for her family. Even if they're dead, they'll get you. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did a workshop with Fiona Shaw. That woman was no joke. She was very talented and very focused. Greg Mott says, if Star Wars was written by Dick Wolf, Star Wars SVU. That's what this episode felt like. <laughs> I mean, I actually oh. think that's a pretty good idea for a that's show. Someone <laughs> should redo this finale and just add the, like, dun-dun. Uh, <laughs> Stan, Stan Hemphill says, let's bring back the Jedi Way podcast. Michael and Shannon are more than welcome to join. Let's dive into some more of the books. Love what you guys are doing. Let's raise a glass. Force toast to Marva and Clem. Sniff, sniff. Absolutely, Stan. Uh, we will be back with the Jedi Way for sure. And I'd love to have the boys on uh, when we can do some episodes talking about the, a philosophical concept in Star Wars because these guys are great to talk about those kinds of stuff. But, yeah, we will be back now with the Andor stuff out of the way for sure. 
Um, and then Mike H said, do you think the riot would have happened if B2 Emo was not knocked over or was it inevitable at that point, given Marva's last line to fight the Empire? What do you guys think? 100% inevitable, okay. but but the, the knocking over of B2 sort of accelerated things. Yeah, yeah. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it was going to happen, um, but... And look, as this is classic Star Wars, Leia says to Moff Tarkin in A New Hope, the tighter you squeeze, the more uh, the more um, planets are going to slip through your fingers or whatever the quote is. Right. And, and th- that's repeated several times here. So it was always going to happen. But what the Empire can't help but do is try and stomp it out as hard as they can right. and as aggressively as they can. And that always backfires. Yeah, very true. Aaron Garner uh, says, sorry, I'm late. If you already said this, do you think Cinta killed the hostages? Yes, I, I, I do now. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I think she might've let, I think she might've let that Imperial officer's wife and son live. Oh, but I think she killed everybody else. Wow. I think wow. she is, she is cold blooded. She is. She, she doesn't give a fuck y'all. Yeah. It's not even a revenge thing. Like she doesn't say anything. She doesn't have well, it is quip. a revenge thing. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean but like, like we've normally seen, right, where it's some quip or some kind of, you know, you killed my family or this is for my family. She just kills. She's cold-blooded yeah. in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, that was all the Streamlabs and Super Chats we had for tonight. Any final words, gentlemen, as we wrap up our review series here on Andor Season 1? Uh, you know, I just super, super enjoyed enjoyed this series and i i hope that the powers that be don't take the wrong lessons from it that just to make okay everyone like like this make everything uh make everything grim and dark and serious uh if they have a show if they have a series that that tone it works that's what that show should be and this is the way that this story needed to be told and that's why it worked out so well mike any final words yeah, I mean, echoing what Shannon said, I think Andor is one of the best things that Star that we have as far as Star Wars goes. Uh, there are other things that I like that are nothing like Andor uh, that I think are equally as amazing and some of the best things that Star Wars has. But I, as we watch all of these stories that are told in new and interesting ways that are filling in the gaps of the timeline that we know, it just makes me more anxious for Disney and Lucasfilm to figure out what's next post new trilogy and start laying the groundwork for those stories. Because I think that's just such wide open space. And in the same way that, as you said, John, Andor has hit on so many parallels to our history, but also the world that we're currently living in. And I think that Star Wars is such a great tapestry for us to do what sci-fi does best, which is tell stories that are social commentary about the world that we live in. And so figuring out the way to take this vibe that Andor has and feed it into future Star Wars stories, like I, I hope that they get the right people at the helm to do it who can do it the right way. I 100% agree with both of you. Absolutely. That's, that's the thing you want to see going forward. It doesn't mean that you, you know, move away from the other star Wars. Maybe it motivates you to do that. Other star Wars even better because this is what's happening on the other side. And I want to see now creators maybe who are hesitant 
to be a part of Star Wars because they maybe wouldn't be able to explore the darker, seedier, grittier type of storylines here. Maybe there's a bit of encouragement from this series that Star Wars might be, or Lucasfilm might be open to it. Disney might be open to exploring it if you've got a good pitch and you've got a good story to tell and an interesting one that's going to kind of expand on this and create a whole another section of Star Wars that operates in this quote-unquote adult approach, which I think is not the best way to describe it, because I think all Star Wars, in essence, is for adults and for the little child inside of all of us. So I think that's what's great here and seeing it. Remember, this whole thing started with Andor being a little child, experiencing the Empire for the first time, and what happens to him as he progresses. Then that story is just as valid as any other one you might see, like with Luke. So I think it's just good to see all of it uh, from the bones out. You know, So it's great to see. Um, uh, I think that's it. I think that's everything we have to say about Andor uh, season one. We appreciate you all who've been with us on the whole journey. You got it means so much that you're willing to hang out with us, listen to us talk about it, give us some nice compliments, some nice points that maybe we might have missed. I always always love seeing that in y'all's comments down below there in the comment section. We appreciate it, Mally. So thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us. Thanks for the stream labs and the super chats as well tonight. And a big thanks to Laura Kelly, who was so great to join us on this journey. For a majority of the episodes, her insight is always so well appreciated by the three of us. We love her so much. Shannon, what do we have to say? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Uh, Mikey? Um, it's been a hell of a ride and it's amazing that it's ending on Thanksgiving weekend. So right. I think we can all be thankful that we've had such an amazing piece of Star Wars drop into our laps. Um, and here's what we are thankful for all of you. And here's what you guys can do to help us keep doing what we are doing. Hit that like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, check out all the amazing content there. Leave your comments. The comments in the chat have been great, but like leave your comments below. Um, let us know what you thought. Let us know what your hopes and predictions are for season two. If you are listening to us on a podcast, uh, take a minute to leave us some stars, leave us some comments, helps us go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video, post it to your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. And as we wrap it up, two stream loves just came through, gentlemen. Real quick, Fantastic says, hey, buddy, as, uh, hey, buddies, I love the entire season with all the story building and action. I was surprised we didn't lose as many characters as I thought we would. I love the Andor intro music, Was that they that it was the Ferrix Dirge. Love you guys. And Laura, anything to say on this, boys? I 100%. I totally thought there was going to be a higher body count. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They kind of teased it for sure. And then Greg Montz, do you think Luthen felt like his work wasn't in vain while hearing Marva's speech? Also, I think Luthen just lost 30 men. He needs more soldiers and Andor shows up. Do you think Deidre could be Andor's sister as a cruel twist? Uh, No. 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 (laughs) I I think they, they... Based off that flashback, yeah. I I think they look completely, completely different. I, I, I want to tread carefully here. He's Latino. That's what he is. Deidre is very much a white woman. Does it mean that Latinos are not blonde and blue? No, of course they exist. Blonde hair, blue Latinos exist in South America. So it's possible. I just think it would be a bit of a not the right move, I think, to make her the sister. That's as, that's as minefield tender as I can be with that situation. Mike, what well, are your thoughts on both of these? Yeah, good. No, I was just gonna say, based off the flashback, <laughs> that is right, not a right. little, that is not a little blonde girl. Like right that point, is right that is a dark headed child. Yeah, true. Dark face. Yeah, I, mean, I put my money on Cinta being his sister before I put it on Deidre being his sister, and I don't think that's the case either. Yeah, right. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think Luthen 
um, realized what he realized there and has to get those 30 men. What, what do you guys think? Uh, oh, no. So, sorry. Do you think Luthen felt his work wasn't in vain hearing Marva's speech? I yeah, love I that mean, point. I, yeah. I mean, I think I think he does, but I think he also, like I said, was just bearing witness to the cost of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks to Carbon Health who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Fighters. Oh my God, I'm, ta- I'm out of breath here. Uh, the Geek Buddies, please go and visit them at carbonhealth.com for any of your healthcare questions, concerns, or needs. Download the app so you, can, so you can have a doc in your pocket for any of those healthcare questions, concerns, or needs that you have on the road, whether you're on Ferrix, on the Death Star, or hanging out in our, uh, in our areas here. Yeah, all right, that's it from us. You guys are the best. We love you madly. We'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode here from The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.